Hey everyone, Alan here. Thank you so much for listening. We are so, so, so overwhelmed with the amount of support that the community has brought to this podcast. I just want to thank you all for listening first and foremost before we even begin, because we're now three episodes in and we're officially in thousands of listens per episode. And we don't even have intro music. We don't have a proper anything. Um, so I just wanted to thank you all for for spreading the word and really uh, and and really supporting us. Um, I wanted to add a little bit of news for CIS and Security Token Summit at the beginning as well because we are really excited to have announced this last week that FinCross International has joined us as a title sponsor and partner for the event. You're going to be hearing a lot about them. And we'll even have uh, Henry, their deputy CEO, and their CSO on the show, um, hopefully next week. So keep an eye out on them. I also wanted to thank Crowdfund Insider because this episode is going to be the first in our monthly recaps of security token news for the month. And it'll be powered by Crowdfund Insider. Andrew, as you'll see in this episode, gathers all the news articles that happened this month that were of note, and we go over them with the panel. So really excited for this one. We had Andrew Dix from Crowdfund Insider, Antonio Brass from Blockquake, and um, Sean Naziri from Tokensoft. Of course, I'm on it. And we had a really good time going through the news. We recorded this one live with a live webinar audience. So towards the second half, we even answer some of the audience's questions. We may separate those two shows to be two different shows every month because we realized that there was so much to discuss in the news that we had to power through some of the questions. So if you were on the webinar and you asked a question, we weren't able to get to it. Sit tight. We will do this again or hit me up on LinkedIn, and I promise that I will answer your questions. Without further ado, Security Tokens Uncensored, Episode 3. Boom! All right, we are recording. Welcome, everybody, to Security Tokens Uncensored. I've got Andrew Dix from Crowdfund Insider with me again this uh this month so we decided ever since that first sort of pilot episode that once a month we'll do a live q a version with with experts but andrew will also bring this month's news from uh from the sto uh, world so uh if there's any news stories we talk about on the show today that you want information about go to crowdfundinsider.com um, or hit Andrew, I think it's Andrew R. Dix on Twitter, and uh, he'll, he'll help you find, find the article. Um, we'll also probably post links to each article in the blog post, I just decided. Um, but joining us today, aside from my uh, sidekick, Andrew Dix, um, we've got Antonio Brass from Blockquake and uh, Sean Naziri from Tokensoft. Uh, welcome, everyone. Thank, Thank you. you for uh, joining you. us. So uh, I think the, uh, the, the best way to start would be to uh, go across the board and, and get an introduction from everyone. Um, I'm just going to go by wh- how it shows up on my Zoom recording. Um, Antonio, tell us a little bit about yourself and about BlockQuake. 
Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Antonio Brass. I'm one of the co-founders and CEO of Blockquake. Um, our first project is actually going to be a global cryptocurrency digital asset exchange um, where we're really addressing a lot of the concerns out there around the one-stop shop, having uh, multiple fiats, um, brand new base cryptos in there, and just having a lot of crypto options for people as well as trading options, There's a bunch of other features that we plan on onboarding. Uh, my background, um, I've spent about 15 years in financial services uh, out here in New York City. Um, a lot of time in audit risk management compliance functions on both the technology and the business side. Um, our team has heavy regulatory experience. Um, actually, we're probably one of the teams out there that have uh, probably more regulatory knowledge than a lot of other teams out there. Uh, just everyone coming from financial services sector, a lot of uh, um, remediation planning that we've worked on in the banking, insurance and investment sector. So we wanted to bring a lot of that knowledge to the space myself. I've traded stocks, options, Forex before I got into cryptocurrency. So, um, I mean, this was all born because I was always accustomed to a higher gradient of a trading experience and I, I just saw that lacking, so I decided to jump in. Very Excellent. cool, very cool. So uh, we'll, we'll uh, dive into more of your background, I'm sure, when, when we get the Q&A. Remember, everyone, that uh, if you go into the Q&A section of the Zoom uh, meeting, you can uh, ask questions that we will start to answer um, after the news stories, unless it's related to the news stories. So uh, next, Sean, uh, tell us a, a little more about yourself. I've known Sean since uh, back in the day, uh, crowdfunding at USC, right? Yes, sir. Uh, yeah, so uh, my name is Sean Nasiri and I run BizDev and East Coast Operations at Tokensoft. And as Alon was mentioning, uh, him, myself, and, and Andrew, who's also on the panel, were one of the early pioneers in the equity crowdfunding space. And as we were discussing uh, before we went live, um, you know, there's been a huge transition from a lot of the early people in equity crowdfunding into uh, digital assets and security tokens, because when the Jobs Act first passed, um, a lot of the things we hoped that it would enable in terms of liquidity, access to capital, uh, bringing on new class of investor, global compliance, weren't possible until uh, the technology we have now around blockchain and smart contracts. Um, and to transition that over a quick little spiel about Tokensoft, um, Tokensoft is the leading digital asset issuance and management platform. Um, our fully scalable solution builds tailor-made products that help enforce our clients' unique global security, banking, and tax requirements. Uh, in addition to primary issuance and, ongoing, and our ongoing uh, compliance platform, uh, we really recently announced Knox Wallet, which is the first uh, multi-signature self-custody cold storage solution built uh, to custody digital assets and securities, um, which has been a hit actually because it combines institutional grade security with an easy to use consumer friendly mobile interface. Very cool. So, so uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm going to want to know, do know a little more about that, but first, uh, Andrew, give us a lot of loaded words in that uh, introduction. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love it. Uh, yeah, yeah. so uh, like uh, Sean and Alon, I've been doing this for a very long time. Uh, I am the, uh, the founder and CEO of Crowded Media Group. Uh, our very first domain is in uh, Crowdfund Insider. We started covering 
online capital formation back in the day, at the beginning of the Jobs Act. That has since morphed into giving broader coverage of the fintech space. And alongside fintech, you've got blockchain and crypto, and now STOs, security token offerings. And um, I personally agree with probably everybody in this panel, but what Sean just said, that this is an opportunity to provide the liquidity and um, asset structure that we had hoped for uh, in the early days of crowdfunding, but we never quite made it. So I'm very, very excited about this period of uh, uh, security evolution right now. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's, it's exciting. We're, we're in this, this I, I feel we're getting toward closer to a, an inflection point or something. Oh, yeah. I, I feel it. I feel it. I'm hoping. Uh, maybe it's wishful thinking, but I think, I think it's exciting. There's a lot of very cool things going on. Um, I'm going to remind everybody, uh, ask questions in the Q&A section. Otherwise, all questions will be all the XRP-related questions that Antonio Brass got for <laughs> Um, but uh, <laughs> um, but let's let's start with uh, with the news, um, the big the big February stories. Um, Andrew, I know you had one in particular you thought was cool. Um, uh, is there one you'd like to start with, or should we start with some of the bigger ones? That, yeah, uh, you know, uh, what? I'm going to jump right into the the Banco BTG uh, Pactual um, news that came out this past week. This is the largest investment bank, standalone investment bank in Latin America. It's offering right now a security token based on real estate assets. Uh, I think it's more distressed assets because in Latin America, South America, you saw a, a huge jump uh, and then a huge you know, dump during the financial crisis. And now things are starting to go back up and they believe that there's opportunity in that sector. So they're doing a token issuance right now of a soft three to hard $15 million uh, coin. And uh, I thought that was really cool because this is, this is no startup. These guys have been in business for decades. They have uh, you know, billions and billions of dollars in assets under management. Mm -hmm. They have credibility in the real estate sector uh, and they're issuing this, this token now. Uh, one interesting note though is, is if you're a US citizen, you cannot buy the token. And if you're based in Brazil, you cannot buy the token. But if you're a lot of other places, you can buy the token. But I thought that was, that was pretty cool to see a, a more mainstream investment bank, um, financial firm move into uh, the STO space with uh, real estate. That's really cool. Are they, um, are they kind of leading with the, with the security token talk or is it just another investment opportunity that they've, they've added the, uh, they've added security tokens to sort of saying we also potentially plan, or we also plan on tokenizing this and creating this potential liquidity. So they don't really say at least in what I've read, uh, what it appears to be is, is it's kind of dipping their toes in the water because the fund is kind of small, a bit small. They mm -hmm. uh, do say that they have, they intend for the token to trade on multiple exchanges around the world. It, it's not ready to trade yet. Uh, I can't remember what the timeline is on that. The roadmap is on that. But it, it, to me, it appears as this is kind of a test pilot to see what they can do with other, with other securities. And because they have this, this skill set, this intrinsic skill set, and offices around Latin America and North America too, uh, this is kind of a, a nice opportunity to see how, how this will 
evolve for them in a kind of a small way. You know, three to 15, it's not that big, especially for yeah. a company that, you know, has hundreds of billions of rails under management. You know, I think 60 billion US dollars is what it is right now. So I thought that was, that was really kind of cool. Yeah. Hey, Andrew, was there a reason that they excluded Brazil? So it's got to be due to, to local regulation. I didn't okay. dig into that, but I was reading the small, you know, print. Obviously, if you're in China, you can't easily gain access to it. I know a lot of people have found ways to work around it to find a, a uh, you know, jurisdiction of preference to, to purchase something like this if they want to. But um, I didn't dig into that. The white paper, we did post the white paper on our site. It's obviously open to the public on their site. They've got a pretty... Um, a pretty well put together presentation page on their site. What's the company name again? I'm sorry. It's uh, Banco BTG Pactual. BTG. And, uh, and we'll share and we'll share the link. Uh, we'll share the link with everyone uh, afterwards um, as well. Very cool. Let's 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 hit hit another one. Um, I wanted to actually um, hit. Uh, oh, there was one I was just looking at. Um, uh, where did that go? Um, sorry, man. Uh, the, the, the Wyoming blockchain stuff. So, yeah. um, I mean, Andrew, I, I know you know more about this than I do. And I've seen the things that Caitlin has posted in all the telegram groups, but would, would love, um, you know, what exactly it meant, uh, this month. So, um, they, um, approved two bills in the past couple of weeks. Uh, the most recent one had to do with uh, digital assets being um, held as property, which, I, as I understand it, means you don't need an intermediary to hold it. Uh, they've also cleared the path for banks to provide services uh, to these uh, types of assets. Now, this is just one of a whole squadron of bills yeah. that have been passed into law. And I think largely due to, to Caitlin, uh, she's really been kind of the, the, uh, the uh, uh, champion behind a, a lot of this stuff. Uh, and it's really s setting up a, an interesting ecosystem within a state. Everybody knows we got state laws and federal laws. Uh, at some point in time, depending on what the feds decide to do, you can see some friction creating here. But I mean, really, Within the United States, uh, there have been several other states that have tried to create more blockchain-friendly laws. But Wyoming is the one. You know, it's uh, the you know crypto Rockies, and um, yeah. and uh, alongside that, we received a note from a uh, digital assets-focused bank that is being set up now, looking to cater to all these providers that are apparently flying to Wyoming, emailing people in Wyoming to figure out what they need to do to get set up and to, to uh, launch their crypto-based companies. Yeah, I've heard of a couple people going to Wyoming. Um, there was the Wyoming Hackathon a few months ago that a lot of people went to, but I've heard of a few people going back since saying, you know, if they're going to pick, you know, Delaware to, to be the, the home of their U.S. company, why not pick Wyoming because they're more favorable to to some of the things they're doing. Antonio, as, as an exchange, are you looking at that pretty closely? Yeah, we're definitely paying a lot of close attention to that. I think it's a good thing what happened out there because it'll prevent, as we see more states do this, it prevents the, the overreaction of uh, maybe some of the federal regulators that we deal with. And um, as you know, like I, I was actually in uh, Capitol Hill a couple of weeks ago. 
Yeah. And um, it was actually a really good tone uh, uh, be, between Republicans and Democrats. There was just a lot of bipartisan support around um, taking their time and making sure you don't history. So I, I thought it was a, a pretty good visit down there. Awesome. Very, very cool. And, and Sean, I mean, you just mentioned the custody part. Uh, if they're saying uh, that people can sort of self-custody as part of the rules. I know security tokens and what and the assets that they're talking about are different, but what are, what are your feelings? Do you, do you have any yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, the custody, the custody conversation is, is an interesting one. Uh, you know, Prime Trust was obviously like one of the first movers in the space when we first entered it, and they're, they're still playing a very active role. Um, in it now. Uh, Coinbase is in the custody solution game as well. Uh, we're integrated with them. Uh, Gemini's addressing it and, you know, Fidelity's there too, just not on a retail level. Um, I think, you know, what I want to see is more, more major states uh, addressing custody. Um, you know, it's pretty easy to, to custody and to get licenses in like South Dakota and Nevada. Uh, would be cu curious to see New York and California based ones. And obviously, uh, you know, what Caitlin's doing in Wyoming is, is super innovative. Uh, they've, been, they've been doing a lot of stuff to make businesses more friendly. My personal LLC uh, holding company is based out of Wyoming. And I had a chance to talk to Caitlin a bit at uh, Satoshi Roundtable. Um, so I think, you know, what they're doing is setting a good tone and it could be a great testing ground for um, federal to see what works and doesn't work. Uh, but in terms of the custody solutions, um, I think a lot of people are trying to address it head on and there's, there's a lot of decent options out there. Um, obviously, you know, we offer both our self custody solution and um, a federally insured, you know, Coinbase style um, institutional solution as well. Yeah. And uh, federally insured or insured or by institutionally backed. Um, it's a good question. Actually, I don't, um, I don't know if Coinbase federally insure. I don't think, yeah, I guess they don't federally insure the crypto asset, but I think it's they have uh, institutional backed. Yeah. Yeah. It's, inst yeah. it's institution backed, okay. not federal. Kind of like yeah, Gemini. Gemini uh, did the same thing uh, or something similar. They have like uh, Aon as, as their insurance provider. Um, okay. Interesting. Yeah. You guys bring up a great point. As we get more structure and maturity around custody, uh, you know, there'll be insurance that uh, come, come into play. Uh, whether it's private or or um, government. Antonio, you brought yeah. up, uh, since we're talking about custody, you said you were on Capitol Hill. Yes. Uh, I'm assuming you met with the, the blockchain caucus, met with Davidson's office. Was custody a topic of conversation that, that you guys discussed? Uh, they, they, they lightly touched on it. They're waiting to see what solutions come into the marketplace. Uh, I believe we did meet with Davidson's office, a few others. The House has been much more active uh, in this. Um, uh, their, their big concerns were um, obviously the retail investor and uh, they're concerned with uh, theft or loss of cryptocurrencies, uh, as well as uh, a lot of the KYC implications. But they, 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 a lot of them are taking the wait and see approach. They want to see what solutions come out in the marketplace. I think yeah. one of the beauties of a digital asset versus a cryptocurrency is the fact that, you know, if you lose your, if you lose your key or, you know, you lose access to it um, because it is tied to KYC AML and the issuer knows exactly who their customer is, they could always just reissue it. Yeah. Uh, yeah well, there's, which is a major advantage of digital assets. 
Well, there are existing rules and laws of what you do when, uh, you know, like under Delaware law, there's certain rules and laws of how you reissue a security that's been stolen or lost or, or whatever. And some are like archaic, like you actually lost the piece of paper, <laughs> um, but, but some are uh, more modern that, that protect you, right? So um, those same rules apply. Hopefully yep. technology makes, them, makes it easier to, to handle, right? Absolutely. Did you meet with anybody in the Senate side by chance? Yeah, we met with a couple of, um, uh, so we spent two full days on the Hill and um, we're actually down there with Dina alone, you know Dina, yeah. um, our lobbyist. So we spent the first day, um, the House, second day, the Senate. The, the House is much more well-versed. The, the Senate had a ton of questions. They, they said that they're letting the House take the lead, but we did. We did meet with a lot of them. Uh, some of the other concerns that came up were how are, how is the blockchain sector going to create jobs for Americans? So, you know, the, the political side of it definitely came up as well. Got to sell it, baby. Yeah, yeah. I love it. Well, my, my number one uh, stat that I like to use um, when talking to politicians, and I have to use this a lot with the 805 startup stuff that I, that I discuss, is yeah. that the startup and small business sector um, as a whole is the only sector of business at the moment that's creating net new jobs. So every single um, uh, other industry, whether it's banking, whether it's pharmaceuticals, whether it's retail, um, they're actually over time losing and losing and losing jobs, no matter how big the companies are. So certain geographies cater towards big employers because it's important to their geography, but they're losing jobs over time. Startups are the only ones creating jobs. And it's the only ones in our whole country creating jobs. So, so that's, that's my, my, my gut thing is, yes, this blockchain stuff might seem international and we're sending people other places. But it also, I, I think, makes, uh, should get them excited about creating regulations in this country to not send people away, right? Um, yeah. We would hope so. That, that's actually one of the so. things yes. that uh, when we met with some of the officers, I did reiterate the point around we want to make sure that whatever we decide regulatory-wise in the U.S., we don't want to be so at odds with the rest of the world that everything goes offshore. Yeah. And, and I mean, things are digital now. So it's not like it, for the average consumer, they, it doesn't make a huge difference, right? Um, so if it's offshore, it's only hurting us. Um, it's not helping, you know. Um, yeah, so, we lose our competitive edge. Yeah. 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 And so, so um, you know, uh, so... Andrew, let's just try to hit up another story or two. All right, I'm going to do, yeah. uh, give, give some of your, your posse some props here because we wrote a story about this uh, distributed banking ledger. FinCross is launching a blockchain-based investment bank. And I had to think about that for a minute. And I'm like, why? Why would you need to do this? Uh, but it, I think it comes down to creating a full-stack ecosystem where you can manage both traditional and digital assets uh, more effectively and efficiently using uh, distributed ledger technology. Now, Alon, since you know these guys well, you probably have an even better perspective on them. Yes, and and I will. Uh, I was. I'm glad you you brought this up because I felt like it was a little pushy to push it. Although, like let's let's all be honest in full disclosure. Antonio is a sponsor of of. Uh, of CIS and Security Token Summit, and so is Sean with, with TokenSoft as well. And, and uh, Andrew is a longtime friend and partner. So um, we're all, we're all uh, intertwined in many ways. But um, 
FinCross came on board as the title sponsor of, of both events. So I'm, I'm really excited about it. And I'd be excited about it regardless because they are building something very cool. So, so you're right. So when they first came to me, I was like the investment banking side. And in my head, I was thinking very small. I was thinking of helping companies raise money. But mm -hmm. what they're doing is they're actually a licensed bank right now. They're licensed under Mauritius, but they're also getting other licenses in other jurisdictions. And they're, they're not only a, a licensed bank for, for the banking side of helping people raise money, but also taking in deposits and doing things like that on, on an individual level. And so to be, to be a licensed institutional quality provider, but their vision is to help individuals as well, not just institutions, it's really exciting. There's, their CEO is a former CEO of a large bank. Um, they're, they're really, really high quality um, people and, and it'll be interesting to see how it evolves, but they're building some very cool products for, for the whole STO ecosystem. Yeah, I think it's interesting as, you know, we're, we're progressing within this uh, regulated token blockchain um, ecosystem. Um, as people are trying to innovate on one side, you have other people that are like, listen, what are some of the same exact things that happen on banking and Wall Street and in finance today? that we could just replicate and make more efficient uh, using blockchain. Um, and I think, you know, seeing more traditional banking structures, seeing more financial structures coming into the space is, is a very good way to giving, uh, to getting the old money and the institutional investors to get on board with the program by just kind of giving them, I don't want to say like a better, the best tasting vanilla you can get, or it's more of just kind of a fixing of the, of some of the inefficiencies, right? 24 hour settlements, programmability, uh, trustless um, automation, and a lot of things that can scale and benefit people, um, especially around like cross-border payments and moving large sums of capital across um, relatively quickly with settlements. Yeah, and I mean, we're, we're touching it on the Onera side. I haven't talked about Onera on this particular podcast today, but, but you know, the idea of, um, of regulated products in the space, whether the products themselves or like the companies are regulated, like in FinCross's case, or the actual product enforces regulation, like what we're building with Onera. Um, I think that's really exciting to the institutional focused people. And, it's, and it creates uh, that better ecosystem internationally, right? Because if I have a similar product, whether I'm based in South Africa, or Cuba, or, uh, uh, or Israel, um, or London, um, that, that actually does create a global, a global economy. Some, and I think that it'll, it'll eventually create some really, really cool collaborations and, and you know, makes the border less important, right? So. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> Andrew. Yeah, what, what would you want to hit, hit next? Let's, let's try to hit one more and get into some questions. This is a big one. So Gladius, I don't know if you guys know Gladius. I actually saw these guys pitch in Manhattan way long time ago, and they did a great job when I saw them pitch, and I thought their concept was kind of cool. But at some point in time, they realized that they had done a couple things that the feds didn't like. They were raising capital post-Dow report, 
That's the big line, the legal line in the sand about, you know, when the SEC will potentially go after you. And of course, they issued an unregistered security. And that's something that the, the SEC doesn't like to happen. So as opposed to waiting in the queue as to when the enforcement division of the SEC will actually find the time to go after them, they decided to self-report their infraction. And because of that, and because they were with the SEC, no fine was imposed. And um, you guys may recall that uh, Paragon and Air Force, they decided not to do that. And those two, beyond the rescission order, uh, beyond uh, saying you're sorry, they got hit with, I think, a, um, you know, a sizable fine. I think each of them got a $250,000 fine. And because they self-reported, Gladius self-reported, no fine was imposed. So yeah, it's actually interesting you bring that up. Uh, I think we're going to see a lot more companies um, get it from 2017, 2016, getting pinged for uh, similar behavior. And the TokenSoft, uh, you know, we, while issuance is part of what we do, compliance is also the biggest part of what we do. And we've actually been actively working with the handful of companies that have either been proactively or reactively um, making sure to get uh, SEC compliance so they can stay within good standing, which I think is a great step in the right direction for everybody. Because um, we don't want to see any of these companies fail. And like, I think Basis was the company that came out and said, like, we have to refund everybody because there's no way for us to maintain our business and achieve compliance. And somebody from the SEC had a comment about that, how like, all right, we must be doing something wrong if a legitimate company uh, is unable to continue with their business here in the United States. Yeah, and kind of to piggyback off uh, Sean's point, just uh, from my experience uh, working in banking insurance, I've worked on um, a lot of remediation efforts. So the one thing I've constantly seen with a lot of the regulatory bodies beyond the SEC, the Fed included, um, if you, if you have a problem and you've got an action plan to actually fix it, uh, they're, they're willing to work with you. So I guess my message to anyone watching this is that the regulators are reasonable. Um, just work with them. And it's one thing like if you miss on being compliant and don't dot every I and cross every T. It's another thing, you know, if you're going out and maliciously trying to be yeah. fraudulent, right? Yeah. And the SEC will hopefully come down on with you with a with an iron fist with that. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, I think for when it comes to dotting I's and crossing T's, it's why it's important to work with companies that specialize in regulations and work with good counsel and ensure you're bringing in the right partners to enforce compliance. Because it's one thing as a startup, you know, you can slip and fall and pick yourself back up. But, you know, if you're a bigger corporation, which we're seeing that comes into the space and you have a lot of professional and, um, you know, personal liability at stake, then you really can't afford to slip up no matter how small or minor the fee is or how reasonable the regulator is having your name show up on an sec subpoena or with FINRA and something like that can be detrimental to, to a, a lot of things you want to do. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Do you guys have any examples of any companies uh, as of yet that have cited an SEC ruling them going out of business or, or, or SEC coming down on them, putting them out of business. Um, the basis example was the one I saw some highlights of. I didn't take a deep dive into the, into the article, but um, 
that's definitely the, the first one that comes to mind where they had to flat out just shut down their doors instead of complying or figuring out a way to return people's money or something like that. Yeah, I actually was just messaging with, um, with Jessica from Paragon. Um, we'll have her on here soon and we'll talk nice. to her about it, which will be pretty interesting. And I'll probably have you on that one with me. <laughs> that will be fascinating because I'm curious as to what Jessica will say about the rescission order because that's a, a big question that comes up. If you're required to turn the money back, do you still have all that money? Now, Paragon, they spun it and said, we're going to become a registered security. This is really cool. We're the first. But back in you know, the back of my mind, I'm wondering, so what happened to all that money? Did, did they flip it into fiat, which would have been really smart because the PRG coin had been up fairly high and then just like all other cryptos had tanked. And so that, I'm, I'm curious to see how that evolves as more of these come out. Cool. So uh, stay tuned. We're going to try to make that happen. Yeah. Uh, that's going to fight it just outright. They're like, no, <laughs> we don't accept. Yeah, They've got yeah. enough money to fight it. They are going to fight That'll it. That'll be the real curious one. But there was a, we wrote, um, actually an attorney wrote for us an article about that and went through their argument. But then after she wrote it, she was, uh, somehow she saw a video where it showed the, the CEO, I forget his name, pitching it as an investment, which is something you really can't do if you think it's a, if you want it to be perceived as a utility token. So I think that they're, that hurdle for them got higher, even though they're going to fight it. At least they have plenty of money to do so, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. So, well, let's, since, uh, uh, okay, go ahead, Alon. Oh, no, no, no. I was going to go in if it's on the same subject. I was going to say, let's pick maybe one more uh, news story and go into some questions. But if yeah. you have something for Sean. So, Sean, I, I wanted to ask about your relationship with the regulators because that is absolutely vital that you have that, that pipeline uh, in the, you know, off the record uh, going on where you're sending your people down there to talk with the SEC and perhaps other people. Do you have a good rapport with the, the regulators? Do you have that ongoing discussion? Yeah. So I personally um, have not spoken to anybody from the SEC or, you know, uh, the judicial branch in, in Congress or anything like that myself. However, um, our office is in the same building as the San Francisco-based SEC. And okay. I know we've had, uh, we've had the SEC in there and we've had the crypto czar in there as well. And we try to keep an ongoing dialogue with um, regulators, um, open door policy, so to speak. But you know, our whole stance on compliance and regulation is um, it's not our job to interpret or provide the guidance uh, we more work with counsel and take our lead from counsel. Um, but given our level of experience, we're more so like, eh, I don't know if that's going to work. We'll, we'll kind of tell you what not to do instead of what to do, just because it's all so gray. Um, okay. And there's, you know, we want to focus on tech and we want to let the regulators focus on regulation and let the fundraisers focus on fundraising. Um, having like a fully vertically integrated stack uh, in an industry this this nascent and fledgling is, in our opinion, not not the best not the best core, uh, route. So we try to stay laser focused on on the tech, but of course, compliance is what we sell. Excellent, thank you. Cool. So Andrew, one more one more uh, article. If it's not the J.P. Morgan coin, I've got a, a one question for everyone about that that I just want a one word answer. Um, 
It's not the because I'm gonna because I like to talk about this globally, and I'm gonna actually roll in two articles. Um, Boffin, which is the German federal regulator for securities, which is not known for being always as forward thinking as you would want them to be. They're a little bit, you know, German, rigid. Um, they approved uh, Bitbond, and and you probably know the guy who runs that a lot because they've been around for a long time to issue issue digital securities. And that was really cool because it's it's one of the first. But at the same time, within the same couple of weeks, um, Boffin shut down an ICO rise. Um, and that was because they got a little bit nervous about, you know, too good to be true sort of thing. And uh, those guys were looking to raise a lot of money. So on one hand, they had given approval to Bitbond to issue digital security. On the other hand, they went out and shut down a high-profile um, issuer. Interesting. Was the issuer, did they say they were not compliant? Um, uh... So they got quiet all of a sudden. I think that they got, you know, the, the, the Friday afternoon letter, and they said, uh-oh, what are we going to do about it? And all of a sudden, they, I think they started off by saying, well, we're going to delay the, the offering. And then it came out in the German press that uh, Boffin had just shut them down. Um, mm. it, it, so I, I haven't done a deep dive into this one, but I do know that Rise was looking to raise a, a lot of money. At the same time, you have New Fund, which has already issued yeah. their own um, security token for their parent company. And they did a uh, kind of a, a uh, I guess an accredited round and now, and they're issuing the tokens now this month, and then they're going to do a broader round once they work things out with Boffin. Um, so I thought that's kind of cool to see another jurisdiction looking yeah. for ways to move forward. Um, everybody's doing it at different paces. I wish the United States would pick up the pace, <laughs> but you have some other jurisdictions that I think are, are doing a, a somewhat better job. Well, I think if you look at things from like a jurisdictional perspective, um, as long as people operate within the existing security laws, there's really nothing the United States needs to pick, pick up on, right? It's um, people are able to do digital asset, digital security offerings, as long as they just follow the rules that already exist. And I don't foresee the SEC changing the rules on that anytime soon. Uh, the one thing that seems to be dragging their feet a little bit is on uh, Regulation A+. Yes. Uh, there hasn't been any digital assets that have been able to get approval from uh, from SEC for Regulation A plus offerings. Um, so I think that's what's going to be important. Um, but I think you know within Germany and like the EU and stuff like that, what what I've seen, um, and this could just be completely hypothetical because I don't have any insight into what uh, the scenarios you just described. But when if so, if the existing government of that area is saying you can't do something they're probably trying to operate within a local jurisdictional um exemption um and different countries have like different things like all right if you don't ra if you raise under 10 million dollars you don't have to do xyz or if you only if you don't raise up to if you don't have more than 30 investors you don't have to declare this and this and too many people which is a red flag to us at tokensoft if too many people are trying to play around with exemptions that don't that lead to them not having to do a certain level of disclosures it's kind of like all right um you guys can try to get cute with what's going on we prefer that everybody just follows the highest letter of the law and operates as professionally as possible with all global uh regulations 
Yeah, I'm with that. Um, Sean, do you know if uh, we had any Reg CF token offerings? Um, I, yes, yeah, we I know. have. Republic, yeah. Republic's been churning them out. Um, I think Start Engines okay. had a couple too. Um, I don't have any details on any specific ones, but um, I know that those two platforms have put out a good amount of companies on the Reg CF for unaccredited investors. If, if I remember correctly, the process of launching a Reg CF offering forces you to um, disclose previous fundraising rounds, disclose your valuations and things like that and report them to the SEC. But I don't think you need approval in advance the way you need to with a Reg A+. So all of these companies are dotting their I's and crossing their T's and doing it right, but they are doing them as, as a Reg CF because their Reg A's are not approved yet. So um, Antonio, when they... Um, do you intend on Blockquake uh, potentially having some of these Reg A plus security tokens um, on the exchange? Yeah, um, at some point down the road. So we are pursuing our broker dealer ATS license. So sure. once uh, we can um, get that, then we're going to look into onboarding um, some of these, you know, quote unquote unregistered securities because yeah. uh, they can only go on the ATS platform, right? So you guys have an ATS, Antonio? I'm sorry, or you're in the process of getting it? We're in the process of uh, getting it. Um, okay, so I was going to say, I thought, I thought I was fully aware whoever had an ATS in yeah, uh, yeah, the we're US not, at this point. Yeah, we're, we're going through the application process right now. Okay, awesome. Now, um, yeah, I, I guess to that, to that point, when we talk about security tokens, um, we probably have to differentiate from tokenized securities versus token offerings, right? Um, a lot of token offerings in... Uh, outside of U.S. and Canada are often not considered a security. Um, so, you know, what, one of the things we're uh, looking to do is if there's um, a gray area on uh, a token we're listing where internationally it may not be considered a security, but domestically um, by U.S. and Canada may be considered one, maybe we list it and then we just block U.S. and Canadians from trading it. Yeah, I think there's, there's a lot you could do within the smart contract and within creating a lot of uh, different siloed whitelists yeah. uh, that allow trading amongst um, whitelists that have compatible requirements. Yeah. That's kind of a very high level overview of how, mm -hmm. how we regulate that kind of stuff with uh, the offerings that we do that are, tend to be highly global in nature. Yeah. Um, it's just creating a lot of different whitelists for the smart contracts to restrict trading between um, parties that don't comply with each other's standards in different jurisdictions. Interesting. So guys, I have one question before we jump into the things. I want one word answers from each of you. Um, is the JP Morgan coin a good thing? So <laughs> alone, alone. Um, I have a lot one of answer, friends. One word, one word. Yes Can we no? get one sentence? I can't. <laughs> I have a lot of friends at JP, no comment. No comment. <laughs> okay, two words. <laughs> My answer is yes. Anytime Andrew? we have buy-in from mainstream, it's, it's a yes. The crypto community, sorry, I went over one word. But it's okay. It's fine, Alon. I know you would do the same if you were asked the question. Of course I would. <laughs> there's a lot, of, there's a, lot of, um, a lot of shade being thrown from the crypto community. Yeah. Yes, there is. Uh, but everybody outside of the crypto community, they've been sending me the article via text and email. Mm -hmm. I'm getting buy-in from like my parents' generation. Um, and my Wall Street friends over here in New York City. So listen, anytime a huge name brand, reputable institution puts their name on anything blockchain related, I think that's a win for us. 
Yeah, and you're, I you're, think you're of it, I think of it as, a, as a gateway drug. One second. Yeah. yeah, and I don't know if you can hear me alone, but uh, yeah, you're going to see every bank develop their own internal transfer method. That's just how it's going to be. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I think it, it adds a veneer of credibility to the entire space, even though depending on, you know, I know that some of the shade that was being tossed their way was due to the fact that some people were saying, well, it's not crypto. You know, it's, um, but still the fact that they're calling it that, it, it shows that Wall Street is, is taking a serious look at this. They understand there's benefits to the technology. And if they can execute correctly, there's something there for them and, and the wider audience. Yeah, I mean, I can say from firsthand experience, every major financial institution is taking a very hard look at, at blockchain and crypto, some publicly, some quietly, but everyone's taking very, very serious look. We've seen buy-in from the big four financial institutions, the big four accounting firms, um, and I think everybody in between globally. So this, yeah. I mean, this is definitely real. It's cool. just getting a lot of the buzzwords out of it, like token and coin that, you know, leads people thinking down different routes. Yeah, I think, I think anything that creates this mainstream exposure brings in uh, our parents' generations and, and all of these others into the space and will eventually get them sucked in is a good thing. Uh, so yep. I'm, I'm, I'm with you guys. I just wanted to, uh, to, to hear your thoughts. I, I obviously, you know, agree with most of the crypto community. That's not technically like a cryptocurrency, but that's, we can, we can debate that later. Um, so, so guys, we, we, we have about 10 to 15 minutes left. We should get into some of these questions. Um, uh, this first one is actually a, a very good one. And, and Antonio will, will have a lot to say about it. Same with Sean. So it says, can you care, compare the liquidity of securities today uh, for example, stocks versus liquidity that companies are trying to bring to security tokens. Are these companies trying to create a NASDAQ for security tokens? <laughs> Where we're going to see a, a big impact is actually in the OTC market space. Um, you've got a lot of regular unregistered securities trading and the liquidity is just not there. So um, you're, you're going to see a bigger impact where a lot of these traditional companies would want to go list via one of the OTC markets that are out there. But now they've got this uh, cheaper option of going uh, the tokenized route on one of these ATS platforms, fractional ownership, and you'll get more liquidity uh, significantly in that space. Yeah, I think it's, it's funny that NASDAQ was, was put in quotes because NASDAQ has quietly been making a lot of investments in this space. But to compare the liquidity of the public markets with private markets that for the most part only accredited investors are going to be able to dabble in. And whereas the US, it's not, it's not going to be on digital exchange. It's not going to be on actual exchanges. It's going to be on ATSs, which can act like an exchange. But I'm sure as Antonio will explain further, like it's the furthest thing from a real exchange as we know it to be seen. Um, I think the important thing to remember is that while liquidity is a byproduct of digital assetization, it's not the end all be all. Um, and companies, most companies that have gone into the space aren't building products so investors can go dump them uh, as soon as they're open for trading, like was the case with ICOs. Um, so the infrastructure is still very much being built. There's a lot of people going at it. I think by this time next year, it's safe to say there'll be about 25 to 35 global ATSs and exchanges or OTC platforms 
that are focused on digital assets. But I think we're still probably three to four, maybe even five years away from seeing a truly liquid market in the sense that there's one year that companies are subject to one year lockup periods. Um, there's no real necessarily um, anybody providing coverage you know, like they do with the financial markets on what the valuation should be, what quarterly should be, what price points should be. Um, but they're all coming into the space. There's market makers coming into the space. There's liquidity providers coming into the space. And there is going to be some big marquee issuers that are going to have vast investor bases that are going to be able to create liquidity, but it's just not there yet. And there's no telling when it will be, but it's also not as critical as yeah. I think a lot of people are making. Hey, it. hey Sean, what's your, what's your perspective on 12 G? Uh, the 2000 investor limit. Yes. All right. Um, was that a test? <laughs> no, I, I'm curious as to, to, um, we wrote a, we had a big article published on this the other day. Um, and it's, it's a challenge and I'm curious cause you're, so in there's a couple ways to address it. One is we can build into the smart contract and we, we've, we've done so I believe for some companies where we will not let the company go over the 2000 person limit domestically. And that applies to domestic. Okay. Um, on the other hand, we have companies that haven't um, opened up their tokens for trading because they are waiting to file an S1, uh, mm -hmm. which will have them act as a, public, as a public company for the purposes of trading their private security past the 2000 person limit. Okay. And I'm hoping we get more companies like that that uh, are perfectly okay um, going over that 2000 domestic limit that doesn't apply to foreign. Um, and are willing and able and have the, the gumption, I guess, so to speak, to act as a publicly traded company without having to be subject to the market manipulation and the scrutiny of being a publicly listed company on NASDAQ or the NYSE. That's interesting. That's really interesting. I don't know, Antonio, do you have some perspective on your end? Yeah, it's um, well, I'm going to say in the same boat with Sean, where it's been limiting having that 2000 limit number on it. Um, I guess that's why you often see uh, people trying to raise overseas where you don't you don't have that limit. Yeah, yeah I think um, so. So I, I'm I'm in agreement with you guys. I'm I'm just trying. I'm going to try to move it along just a little bit. But we halfway answered the next question, which was about T zero getting off to a slow start. Um, and and people asked, you know, what are the problems that have constrained their launch? I think it's the same thing we just discussed. Just because a company is technically public and can trade doesn't mean there's a market for it yet. And there aren't those marquees that bring the traffic. Um, and then the, the last part of the question is, do you have an insight into the pipeline of STO issuance by number and dollar volume for the remainder of 2000? That's, that's a good question. Yes. Um, <laughs> well, I think in 2018, there was just a little over 20 um, security token issuances completed. Um, so, by the end of this year, in theory, uh, starting next year, there should be at least 20 companies that are able to trade. Um, and I also wouldn't say that T0 is getting off to a slow start. Uh, their token, they're just only allowing their token to trade yeah. currently. They haven't opened it up to other tokens yet uh, because you know you gotta learn to, to crawl before you can run. So they wanna make sure they have everything right and they have their systems and processes in place with their token um before they open up to other tokens and i think open finance has about five tokens actively trading um but all those tokens i think they only had like 15 to 30 um 
token holders during the fundraise. So, you know, it's, it's all a process. Uh, yeah, it, I think, I think it's going to take time. I'm seeing a ton of, uh, potential issuances and I say potential because just because a company is doing it doesn't mean it's going to totally make sense um, and doesn't mean it's going to be successful. So a lot of the companies in our space are, are, are in it um, for very good reasons. And some of them are able and some aren't able to raise money. Some of us uh, are getting into the space because they're desperate to raise money and that's a terrible reason to do it and they're going to fail. Um, so just because you're going to see tons of STOs going on this year doesn't mean that they're all going to be listing a year from now. Yeah, um, and you know we share we, we share attorneys uh, with T Zero, and you know yeah. I, I know that um, you know they're being prudent about it. they are taking their time. They know it's a new space. Uh, you know it's a fraction of a percent of the global economy, uh, so you don't want to like run off a cliff. And I would say yeah. probably the biggest thing that's slowing down the secondary trading it's, um, and even primary issuance, it's, uh, it's the, all the investor onboarding requirements that, that have such a digital component that a lot of the real money is just not used to um, and is going to have trouble um, doing so, right? Like somebody who's made hundreds of investments in their late 50s and 60s is going to be less likely to go through, uh, fill out all their information on KYC AML and upload like a W9 or a bank statement, right? Um, so, you know, I think trying to balance digital with still trying to do a lot of things in the old school way, like onboarding investors, just through back office compliance themes, through broker dealers, um, and taking a step back from all the technical advancements and doing some old stuff, um, the good old fashioned way that people know how. And just using tech to create the efficiencies is really going to help with that process. Love it. Yeah, I, I agree completely. Um, so I'm going to, I'm looking through these questions. I know there's a, there's a bunch in here and I want to get to some of them. Um, I'm going to just answer quickly. Um, there's somebody put when STO on Coinbase. Um, I'm just going to answer that. I may or may not have spoken to people at Coinbase and they may or may not be taking the similar approach um, that some of these others are taking about, you know, crawling first and they technically could if they wanted to um, through some of their systems. But I think they're waiting for a significant number of reggae plus deals that can be traded amongst thousands and thousands and thousands of people versus the, the deals that are going on right now. To, to get into the space. They have a different responsibility, in my opinion, um, than others uh, because of, you know, even just look at some of the, um, the accusations they've had about leaking listings of tokens. Imagine if they leaked a listing of an STO and now it's actually- Yeah, a private security. <laughs> yeah, so, so there's, 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 they have a different weight on their shoulders having millions and millions of customers than you know, T0 might have. Um, so I think that they're gonna wait until the timing is right and the market is right. I'm sure they'll be ahead of large institutions, but they'll probably purposely be slower than some of these startups coming up. Um, uh, which I, I could see by your nods, you, you probably agree. Antonio, do you have something to add to it before we jump to the next thing? You were, uh, no, uh, totally agree with you. Um, I, I haven't worked in traditional institutions. Uh, they like to be cautious. I think, I mean, I think that's the dream, right, though, to be able to access, have one single platform that you can access your crypto assets and your digital securities, just like you do for like your Schwab or E-Trader, right? 
We don't have to go to a different website to trade on NASDAQ versus that versus the NYSE. Right. Um, so having that at some point is going to be huge for us. Yeah, I think that'll come from uh, some kind of cross-platform situation that, that can do that, right? Um, there's there's going to be some options there. Um, Andrew, are, are you looking at the questions? Do you have any in particular? I can power through some of the ones I like. I do have them up. Um... I'll, I'll hit this one up really quick. Um, uh, just because I, I, I don't necessarily know the difference in structure. Uh, Sean might. Um, Antonio, you might as well. Um, it says blockchain capital um, versus city block. What's the difference in any structure? And will we see uh, Cambrian explosion <laughs> of these types of funds? Um, do yeah. anybody know the structure? I have some feelings about what we'll see with these kind of funds. But So, um, I mean, listen, it's, it's always weird when you have to comment on uh, somebody else's companies. But um, yeah. <laughs> from, what I, from what I recall, blockchain capital was the first company to do a successful security token offering and the first company to do a active listing of a security token company uh, on open finance. Um, but yeah, I think both of these structures are just uh, tokenized LP interests um, into their funds. Um, yeah. And just like, is there going to be a, is there a Cambrian explosion of, to of funds on Sand Hill Road? Yes. Is there going to be a tokenized explosion of a bunch of funds? There's no reason not to. I mean, we, we have one fund, uh, Draper Global, which just rebranded from Andre Capital. That's a huge tokenized fund that's yeah. trying to raise a billion dollars. Um, and we probably have five more in our pipeline between here and Asia. So it's not like, uh, it's not like there needs to be a cap on, on venture funds in any capacity, digital or not. Yeah, no, I, I think that, uh, uh, I, I think it's only good, um, across the board. So Andrew, any last uh, question before we kind of do a wrap up because we are coming on time and I apologize for not hitting all the questions. Maybe we should have separate I think we got too excited on news and we might have to have separate uh, webinars for questions versus news. So give me feedback also, because uh, this is brand new guys. Um, I'm looking through the questions right now. I, I, I see one of the questions, but I want to address it at a higher level. Yeah. Um, when it comes to first mover advantage, uh, you know, generally speaking, there's not, you know, that's not going to hurt you. Let somebody move first. Uh, we're in the infancy. I think as Sean's pointed out a couple of times, like there's, uh, there's always opportunity in this space. Yeah. I don't think there's any advantage to first mover in the tech sphere anymore. Like it's people can build so quickly. So it's not a question of first mover advantage. It's probably more for at least consumer facing companies. It's like cost of customer acquisition and how quickly yeah. you can scale and hit critical mass more so than being a first mover. And what I will say is in this day and age where all products and services are melding together, the actual URL is so much less meaningful. All these things um, aren't that important anymore compared to how they were uh, back in the day. Um, I would think if you're building something, the number one thing to think about is the stickiness. So yeah. what makes people stick with you and stay with you? If you have a solid foundation of people who love your product and are staying with you, that's more important than, you know, this one blast viral thing because people just come and go nowadays. Nobody yeah. gives uh, uh, Imagine if you could loyalty. get a utility token that rewarded loyalty. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like this question though about, will STOs allow us to tokenize real estate to the point where we can long Manhattan and short the Bronx? Maybe we should <laughs> We should short uh, Long Island City. 
Yeah, that's a, um, you know yeah. what though that I think I think it will get to that point with with things in the future because I think that at a very high level everything is leaning towards this kind of technology everything is leaning towards being tradable in some way and uh, eventually you know one of the reasons why you might want to have a licensed uh, a bank is to be able to offer similar institutional so institutions already do this right they have these structured products where they might buy into 30 funds at once um uh and and, and basically invest in the top 30 funds of manhattan real estate versus you know something else or, or the same funds might invest in both and treat them differently and have a different strategy imagine a future where you know we can individually invest a thousand dollars into some of these structures that are only currently available to to billionaires right um these these strategies sound awesome uh but they're really you know you have to have a, a significant amount of capital to be able to to actually implement them right i think what that what that analogy kind of implies is the the granularity that digital tokens uh create so it's like to be able to take a long and short position on an entire city would have to imply that that entire city was tokenized and had its own balance sheet and some part of that was become a digital asset and then that there's a derivatives market to run a long short strategy on either of them which i think is a little a little funny but i mean if you look at the granularity from a real estate perspective right you could tokenize the equity in the building you could tokenize the physical land you could tokenize the revenue produced off the building you could tokenize the debt on the building uh, and you could even tokenize the interest on it right so that's kind of where it gets granular and um, so I think that's kind of what, what I wasn't thinking on. that far deep, but it's, it's all possible. It's all possible. So guys, we've, we've gone a little long, actually. Why don't we, um, I would love uh, from each of you where we can follow you, what, um, uh, and, and how we can reach you to ask you more questions. So Antonio, where should we go to? Sure, um, blockwake.com or, or, or blockwake is our handle across social media. Awesome, Sean. Um, best way to reach me is email S-E-A-N Sean at tokensoft.io or follow my fledgling brand new Twitter that uh, I'm trying to get uh, a couple followers on. It's SSN95070. Mostly just retweets. <laughs> That's a good, good username. Um, Andrew? Yeah, so please visit crowdfundinsider.com. Uh, we'd love to hear back from uh, everybody. And also you can follow me personally on Twitter, Andrew R. Dix, uh, and also go to my LinkedIn profile. Um, those are probably the best ways to get directly in touch with me. Yes, connect with all of us on LinkedIn. Thank you everyone for joining us. I apologize Thank we didn't you. get through all the questions. We will do this again soon. I will have Antonio and Sean and of course, Andrew. And Andrew, uh, congratulations for your second appearance on Security Tokens Uncensored. Um, it's an unprecedented achievement. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, thanks for thank you, everyone, and, and have a great day. All right, thank you very much.